You're listening to the sermon podcast from Real Life Church Pullman, reaching the world for Jesus, one person at a time. Well, good morning, Real Life family. Thanks for joining us online today. I am glad you're with us. My name is Thad, and I am the lead pastor here at Real Life Church in Pullman, Washington. We're just glad that you're with us. Whether you're a local here in town or you're watching from afar, uh, thanks for being a part of the church today. We are uh, going to cover a couple announcements real quick and then jump into our uh, sermon as they're talking about Sabbath today. So first couple of things I want to remind you about is that we are working with our team to go back towards live streaming services here in the fall. And what that means is when we uh, live stream the service, it will be from our Sunday venue and it will include worship and everything that happens on a Sunday will get live streamed. And we're, we're working with the team to put together all of the right tools and equipment and uh, set up so that it sounds uh, great online and in person. And so we're going to be excited to get that offered for you again in the fall. I just want to make sure you guys know that are watching online only. Worship is coming back. Uh, to church online, and we're doing uh, all the work that we need to to be ready to do a great job of it. It's probably going to start about the second week in September, right after Labor Day weekend. So just know, hang in there with us. Worship's coming back to church online. Speaking of worship, uh, we've got a worship night coming up uh, on September 3rd. It's a Thursday night, and a lot of you know that prior to all the craziness with COVID back in March, we had a an all-church worship night planned, and a lot of people were really excited to come and be a part of that, and then we had to cancel it due to the uh, COVID concerns. And so we're excited to have a worship night on the books again. And so it's going to be a Thursday night, September 3rd. We'll be getting you all the information out here soon about location, venue, time, all that stuff. But I wanted to let you know that it's coming. Um, Be praying about it. There's all kinds of complications that come with pulling off uh, an event like this. And so we'd appreciate your prayers. We're going to make sure that it's available both in person with the right safety precautions, masks, social distancing and so forth. But we're also going to make sure that it's uh, available via live stream. Um, And we're thinking about some other creative ways to help people that are remote uh, participate in the worship night as well. So just know it's coming and more info is going to be coming out about it soon. And then lastly, um, I want to make sure and invite all of you to join me today after church at 1 p.m. live our time here in Pullman. Uh, One o'clock, I'm going to be on Facebook live streaming there as well as YouTube. And so either our YouTube channel or my Facebook or our Real Life uh, Church Facebook channel, you can find this. Uh, I'm going to be doing a, a live address, kind of a state of the union for Real Life Church, letting you know about kind of what's going on with us as a church. I'm going to be covering things like uh, our in-person gatherings, um, uh, what we're going to be doing with children's ministry through the rest of the summer and into the fall. We're going to be talking about some staff uh, changes that we're making uh, in response to kind of what's going on in the world right now to help us navigate and be best uh, prepared to make disciples and accomplish the mission of the church moving forward. And then we're going to be talking about some really cool stories that um, we've just seen God working in and amongst our church and our folks and in people that we're connected with uh, online too. And so I just want to make sure you know, one o'clock today, tune back in. And then if you can't watch it live at one, the replay will be available later and throughout the day or even the next day. And so you'll be able to catch it that way as well. So uh, with that, let's talk Sabbath, shall we? We are in this new series where we're talking about Sabbath. And last week, we kind of kicked the series off with an intro 
uh, message. We talked about the idea that Sabbath is actually an ancient Hebrew word that means to cease or desist, and it, it really pertaining to work or labor. So to cease or desist work, to stop working. And so that's sort of the the context, the idea that we have in mind when we think of Sabbath is to to stop working. And and I touched on the idea that um, God introduced this idea of stopping and resting from work all the way back in Genesis 2. And we, we took a look at that and unpacked that some. And then we went on to Exodus 16, where we saw God's people for the first time really reintroduced to the idea of a Sabbath break. The idea that um, their worth and value was not uh, tied up in what they could produce, that they had a God that loves them and will provide for them and can look out for them. And so we talked a lot about that and unpacked that. And then we talked a little bit about how in this series, we're going to focus less on really practical how to do Sabbath and more on understanding some why. Why is it so important to God that we set this day apart as holy and special. What what happens on this day? And so we, we broke it down into five why questions, and we're going to talk through those five whys over the next several weeks, and today is the first one. And I would just say that if you did not catch the sermon last week, um, I would really encourage you to get it. I want to help make sure that you're set up properly and that you're going into this series really understanding where we're going with this as a church And uh, I don't want you to miss anything when it comes to understanding uh, what we're talking about when we talk about a Sabbath uh, rest. And so that's going to be available on our website, rlcpullman.com slash sermons or available in the comments. Our team will post links to it there to make it easy for you to find it. All right. So the very first thing that we're going to tackle today, the question that we're going to dig into is this first one is why is God trustworthy? Why is God trustworthy? And, and we're going to come at it from a perspective of like really asking sort of almost two questions. Why is God trustworthy? And then what does taking a day off and resting have to do with the trustworthiness of God? Like how does, how does a Sabbath, a command to observe a day of rest, how does that have anything to do with God's trustworthiness? And so we're going to, we're going to just dive in and, and get started with that. And so as we start today, I want to make sure that the very first thing we do is look at the command in Exodus 20. It's, uh, um, it's God's command to us to observe and keep the Sabbath. And as we dive into talking about Sabbath today, I want to make sure that we have God's instructions for the Sabbath fresh in our mind. And so let's go there to Exodus 20. It's uh, verses 8 through 11. It's going to be on screen and I'll uh, read it for us. So it goes like this. Remember to observe the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. On that day, no one in your household may do any work. This includes you, your sons and daughters, your male and female servants, your livestock, and any foreigners living among you. For in six days, the Lord made the heavens, the earth, the sea, and everything in them. But on the seventh day, he rested. And that is why the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and set it apart as holy. So in this command, the very first word that we get to look at really kind of sets the direction, I think, that God had in mind for this special day. And that first word is remember. Okay, and so remember is where it starts off with. Remember to observe this day. 
remember to set it apart, to treat it as a special day. But there's more to it than just remembering the day. It's also very much about remembering what happened leading up to this day. That in six days, God created everything, the heavens and earth and the, and the sea and everything in them, right? Like that, that, that there were these six days of creation and doing and making. And, and then it, God knew when enough was enough. God knew when to stop. Like at the end of the sixth day, he looked at everything he had done. And he said that it was good and he rested. And that's going to kind of bring us to really what's going to be our first reason that we're going to unpack and, and help us understand why God is a trustworthy God. And so we're going to go through a few of those reasons in this message today. By no means is this an uh, exhaustive uh, list of all the reasons that God is trustworthy. They're just a few that probably are in your top five or top 10 list. And so we're going to unpack them a little bit. And the first one is this, is that God knows when to stop. Okay. God knows when to stop. Like a painter or a master sculptor, God just knows when to stop. He knew when enough was enough as a creator. And and I don't know about you, but this is something that I really need reminded of. Um, I really easily can overdo it. I can I can just sort of keep adding, right? Like keep just putting more and more on my plate, keep adding to what I think I can accomplish in a day or a week or a month. And, and, and just naturally, I don't really do a great job of knowing when to stop, knowing when to, to stop adding, right? And somehow um, that's not a good thing, right? And so God knows how to stop. And he, he modeled that for us in and showed us that there is a time to stop, that there is a time to to rest, to stop doing and to stop working. And there's really something pretty comforting about that. There's something that feels very trustworthy about a God who knows when enough is enough, right? And, and I want to move on to another reason. I think another reason God's trustworthy is that God acts with our best interest in heart. Um, he, he looks out for our best interest, okay? Um, there's countless examples of this throughout Scripture, but it really all begins back in Genesis 2 and 3, where we see the creation account recapped. And I just want to go over a few little chunks of it here with you this morning. Uh, Genesis 2, uh, picking up in verse 18, says this, Then the Lord God said, It's not good for the man to be alone. I'll make a helper who is just right for him. And the, so the Lord formed from the ground all the wild animals and all the birds of the sky, and he brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And, and the man chose a name for each one. He gave names to all the livestock, all the birds to the sky, uh, the birds of the sky and all the wild animals. But still there was no helper just right for him. So the Lord God caused the man to fall into a deep sleep. And while the man slept, the Lord God took one of the out one of the man's ribs and closed up the opening. And then the Lord God made a woman from the rib, and he brought her to the man. At last, that's my favorite part, at last, the man exclaimed, this one is bone from my bone and flesh from my flesh, and she will be called woman because she was taken from man. And this explains why a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. And now the man and his wife are both naked, but they felt no shame. 
So God is trustworthy because he looks out for our needs and not just our basic needs for like food and shelter, but he really looks out for our needs for companionship and uh, and a need to experience love and oneness like he does uh, amongst the uh, Jesus and the Holy Spirit, right? Like after all of creation, God sees that there really isn't anyone there yet that that's just right as a companion or a helper for Adam. And so there's no counterpart. And so he makes woman and, and she takes him out of man. And we get this imagery that she's literally like Adam's missing piece, right? Like she is what was missing from Adam. And we get a glimpse of what it's like to completely trust God here in this scene, right? He knows what we need. He he provides exactly what we need. And, and when we live in that way, there is this wonderful peace, this shalom. And, and there's no shame, right? Like literally at this point, they're naked and there is no shame. That's what it sounds like to know a God and trust a God who has our best interests at heart. That's a God that we can trust. And we've all heard the rest of the story, right? The snake comes and, and deceives them, twists the story around, and immediately there's consequences. And so I want to unpack a little bit of the rest of this text with you in uh, verse 7 of chapter 3. It says, At that moment their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. And when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord God among the trees. Then the Lord God called to the man, Where are you? Well, he replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you you were naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? The man replied, It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, What have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. And it's here in this text that we start to see this, I, this, uh, these questions coming up. We get these three questions from God that really reveal what happens when we stop trusting God. When we start to veer off the path and, and, and not have our eyes on him and not have our trust that, that God's a trustworthy God. He has our best interest in mind that he'll provide for us. Like when we start to veer away from trusting God, these things happen. And these questions sort of reveal some areas where we start to see our lack of trust show up. The first question God asks him is, where are you? Right. It's like, where'd you go? You know, why aren't you following me? Like, I've I've been in the garden all the time and I've never had to look for you. Like you're always right here with me. What what's different? What's happening? All of a sudden, I'm, you know, God's like you're far from me. I don't. You're not close. What's going on? The next question is, He says, "Who told you you were naked?" Right? Hey, who else are you listening to? And this is one that I know a lot of people. It's it found it uh, feels a little bit weird or sounds a little bit weird. Like. Oh, naked was good, and uh, there was no shame, and they were just walking around naked. And it to me, it's like this idea of like, what if one day one of your kids or one of your friends or roommates or somebody just came home and said, I am never wearing blue again. I will never wear another piece of blue. And you would be like, that something sounds weird. Like, something seems off about that. Like, who did you talk to? Who 
told you something weird about blue, right? Like blue in and of itself, there's nothing wrong with wearing blue. And they're like, oh, you don't understand, right? Like, like when something just catches you off guard, like someone has led you astray. Something's not right about what all of a sudden you're believing. And so that's sort of how God's responding here. Like, who told you you were naked? Who else are you listening to? Who's speaking into your life? And the third thing is, um, have you done something that I told you not to do? Right? Like, kind of like God just going, what's going on here? How'd you get into this mess? Have you, did you do something I said you shouldn't do? I think back of when our kids were little, different times when they were doing crazy things where he'd walk in the bathroom and my daughter would have like every drop of makeup and hair products and, you know, at like three or four years old, stuff spread everywhere, painted the walls, stuff, lipstick and mascara all over her face, thinking that she's doing the right thing, knowing full well, knowing she's not supposed to be in that stuff. She does off limits for her. And she's got this big disaster. And you're like, you walk in and you're like, oh, did you do something you're not supposed to do? Did you get into something that daddy told you not to mess with? Who, me? No, no, right? And it's like, yet it's so obvious. Like, I kind of feel like God looks at us like that a little bit. Like, have you done something I told you not to do? And that's really the thing. The truth is we still do the same kind of things with God today. And and God ends up asking us those same questions, you know, where are you, right? Why aren't you following me? Like, what's going on? Like, you seem like you're away. Well, where are you? Or Or who told you, right? Like, this one feels like something that's going on a lot nowadays with all this just overdose of information, overdose of people telling us stuff through social media and news and friends and so-and-so said this, right? Like we're just overloaded with all this information coming in. And it's sort of like God's going like, hey, who told you that this is going to be the mark of the beast? Who told you that a cashless society is this thing or that thing? Like who told you that vaccines mean this or don't mean this? Like who told you that this is a sign of the end or that's a sign of the end? Like who told you that moving in together before you get married is a good idea so that you can really get to know each other before you make that big marriage commitment, right? Like who told you that taking stuff from your work doesn't really matter. Everybody does it. It's not that big of a deal. No one will even notice it's gone, right? Like, like who are you listening to? Who's talking to you? Who's informing you? Who are you listening to? And, and when we stop trusting God, and we start listening to these other voices, it's, it's with them that comes fear and guilt and shame. And we start to run through all the what ifs and well, what about this? And what about that? And the shame creeps in and it's the, I've done this and I've done that. And I'm such a mess and I'm so bad and I'm so broken. And, and you just you self-defeat and beat yourself up. It's like all this yuck leaks in. When we listen to these other voices and we stop trusting God. And yet, it's so important that we remember that God is a God who longs for us to repent and come back to Him. In spite of the fact that we stop trusting Him, and all of us do it at different times in our life, over different things in different areas, like in spite of the fact that we stop trusting Him and His plans, and we allow other voices to tell us how to live, to to what to fear, what to worry about, what to put our eyes and focus on, right? In spite of all that, God longs for us to repent and to turn back to him. In fact, God's a God who is 
eager for us to repent. And I think a lot of us have it in our mind that maybe God's more like an angry dad who's sitting out on the front porch or watching through the window to see we've broken curfew, we've messed up, we we took the car without permission, and he's waiting on the porch for us to get home. And oh man, he's mad. And when we get home, he's going to lay into us and we're going to get it. And he's going to throw down the law and we're going to be grounded forever. Like, Like even if we're sorry, it's coming at us with both barrels, right? And man, that is not who God is. That is not an accurate representation of who God is. God is a God who longs with with joyful anticipation for us to repent and turn back to him. In fact, the way Jesus talks about the Father, he he says that 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 there's so much anticipation and excitement building for someone to repent and turn from their sin and come back to God, that when it happens, there's literally like a celebration erupts in heaven. I, I, I want to make sure and read a couple of these stories for you because Jesus tells a couple of stories. He tells a few stories. I want to read a couple of the short ones real quick to help us get the right picture of who God is and, and how eager he is for us to repent and turn back to him when we get off track and we stop trusting him. In Luke 15, he tells three parables of a a lost sheep, a lost coin, and a lost son. And I just want to read the first couple for us so they're fresh in our mind. It says, uh, verse 15, uh, chapter 15, verse 1, uh, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and the teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people and even eating with them. So Jesus told them this story. If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them gets lost, what will he do? Won't he leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go to search for the one that's lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he will joyfully carry it home on his shoulders. And when he arrives, he will call together his friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me because I have found my lost sheep. In the same way, there's more joy in heaven over one lost sinner who repents and returns to God than over 99 others who are righteous and haven't strayed away. It goes on in verse eight to say, you know, this is like Jesus saying, or how about this story? Here's a different way of looking at it. And so he says in verse eight, or suppose a woman has 10 silver coins and loses one. Won't she light a lamp and sweep the entire house and search carefully until she finds it? And when she finds it, she'll call in all of her friends and neighbors and say, rejoice with me because I have found my lost coin. In the same way, there is joy in the presence of God's angel, uh, God's angels when even one sinner repents. You got to understand this is the kind of God that we have. He, he goes out and he spends time with people who are lost. He, he goes out and actually eats with people who have turned their back on him and stopped trusting him. And he, he mingles and he's amongst them. He's not embarrassed by him or ashamed of him or afraid of them or hiding from them or making himself hard to find. And that wasn't the way he was in the garden. In the garden, he was out amongst, even when Adam and Eve uh, sinned and they, they were deceived and they hid themselves. God didn't hide. God didn't make himself hard for them to find their way back to him. He went right out in the cool of the day and said, hey, where are you? Right? That's the kind of God we have. And beyond that, God is eager to celebrate our repentance, right? When I hear about this 
this imagery and these parables about this joy and celebrating in heaven when even one sinner repents. I always think of um, like football games and sporting events and particularly here in Pullman, we've got Martin Stadium just up on the hill and and from my house, I can hear when the touchdowns go off and the cannons fire. And I just imagine like a close game, you know, it's just neck and neck and it's a really important game. Like we need the win. It's it, it, like everybody in the crowd is just like willing them to succeed and to, to make a touchdown. And it, it, with everything they've got and the stadium's packed and everybody's excited and the perfect play happens and they score a touchdown and it's like, boom, the whole stadium erupts with excitement and screams of joy and there's smiles and hugs and high fives around each other in the crowd and the cannons go off like that sort of burst of excitement and enthusiasm like that's the sort of party I imagine as sinners repent that's that's the kind of God we have that's the kind of celebrating going on when people repent and and turn back to him That's a trustworthy God. That's a God we can depend on. It's a God that we can trust to forgive us. And all of that brings us back full circle to the Sabbath, because when we remember the Sabbath and we set aside our work and we rest for this day, it helps us remember that God is good. It helps us remember that God rested. It, It helps us remember that God's a trustworthy God who knows when to stop. And it's important that we remember to know when to stop when enough is enough. It helps us remember that God is a God who has our best interests at mind, that that God is a God who is eager to forgive us when we repent. So as we wrap up today, and we're just reflecting on these reasons that God is a trustworthy God and, and how this day of rest, this set-aside day, gives us time to slow down, to pause, and to reflect, and to remember who God is and why He's trustworthy. As we kind of wrap up with all these things in mind, I want to give us some questions to chew on this week. I, I'm going to have them up on screen, and I would encourage you to take a screenshot if you're watching on something that's easy. Take a picture if you're watching on a TV, or just pause and just jot these questions down. And I really want to challenge you to really take these questions down and then work through them, like actually answer them, actually think through what is God saying to you? What's God teaching you? Um, What's coming up? Like work out journaling through the answers to these questions. And so here's the questions. They're going to be on screen. Let's take a look at them. There's three of them. Uh, The first one is, um, how does the fact that, um, that God knows when to stop help you trust him? How does the fact that God knows when to stop help you trust him? Next up is, what are some ways that you have experienced God acting in your best interest personally? So what are some ways that you've experienced God acting in your best interest personally? And the last one is this, how would taking a Sabbath break help you repent? How would taking a Sabbath break help you repent? And so I want to challenge you to, to sift through those questions. Maybe as you go back and you look through the, your sermon notes or things that you wrote down through the message, there's other things that you want to uh, focus on and journal and chew on. And maybe God is really 
highlighting something for you specifically and you want to dig back in and see other scripture where God talks about that principle or character trait, awesome. Go for it. But I wanted to give you some nuggets to um, get you chewing and wrestling with this stuff to help you understand the heart of a trustworthy God and how it relates to resting and having an upbreak and a Sabbath. And so that's it for this morning. We're going to take communion together before we finish today. So if you have not grabbed your elements for communion, now is your chance to grab those. I'm going to do the same, and then we're going to be right back and take communion together. Well, every week at Real Life as a church, we finish our time together with communion. And it's uh, a lot like a Sabbath observance where there's uh, a lot about it has to do with remembering. Um, and very much like the Sabbath, a communion time is about us remembering what Christ accomplished for us on the cross. And so that's what we do this morning as we finish together. We take these elements and we remember that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this bread represents my body, which was given for you. So let's uh, take that together. And in the same way, after supper, he took the cup and he said, the cup represents a new covenant, which was sealed with the shedding of his blood. And so with that comes a forgiveness for sins. And so as we take the cup, we remember that we have um, forgiveness of sins available because of what Christ accomplished for us on the cross. So let's take the cup. Let's pray. Father God, we are so grateful that we can come before you, that we can, um, Lord, just walk right up to the throne and talk to you like a dad. And then that is made possible because of Jesus and what he went through on our behalf to make a way for us to have a, a dad-like relationship with you, the God of the universe. Help us never take that for granted. And uh, at the same time, help us uh, soak up every opportunity to spend time with you like we would if you were the most awesome dad that you are. So we just love you and we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for checking out this message from Real Life. You can find out more about us at rlcpullman.com and by connecting with us on Facebook. Until next time, have a great week.